your heart. Just go with what your heart says. And I, that's what a lot of people say. They say, trust what's inside here. But you can't trust your heart. Because the Bible is very plain about that. It tells us that the heart is deceitful, is desperately wicked, and is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Who can know it? Uh, there's only one person that can know your heart, and that is the Lord. The Lord knows your heart. And testing and trials are what bring out what is inside of us. Old Faithful. Anybody ever been to Yellowstone National Park? I've been there one time. Beautiful place. And we waited around. They've got the times up there on this big board. And they have the times from when Old Faithful is supposed to go off. And you can stand there and you can look at the times. And you can say, you know what? We really don't want to stick around for another 45, 50 minutes. We'd like to go see some more of the park. And maybe we'll come back later. But if you'll stick around there long enough, uh, they've got that thing timed so well within the minute, I believe it is, that you'll go by that geyser and you'll be able to watch Old Faithful pour up out of there and uh, in all its glory. Uh, the thing about Old Faithful is this, it cannot hold that steaming water but for so long and it has to pour it out. It has to pour it out. And that's what happened here with these people of Israel. Is that what was in their heart, that was going to be complaining, murmuring, was going to come out. It didn't take long for these children of Israel to figure out what was really in their heart. Was it praise or was it really just complaint? What was in their heart? It was complaint. Complaint. We have to be so careful when we go through battles and trials and tests in our life. Oftentimes we can have a great victory. We can win a great battle. But you've got to be careful on the back side of the battle just as you do on the front side of one too. You've got to be just as prepared on the back side of the battle to gain the victory as you do on the front side of one. Because if you're not, you'll come out on the back side of that victory or that battle. You will won. You've done a good job or something really good has happened in your life. And then all of a sudden, something else will come right on the heels of that. And if you're not being watchful and being careful and being vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion seeking about who we may devour, is going to sneak up on you. And you'll end up just like these children of Israel, complaining, murmuring. Ending in a disappointing and discouraging way. Nothing will quench the spirit of a good time than like a complaining spirit. That's what happened here. We see here in our text this morning, or this evening, it says in verse number 22 So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. And they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink for the waters of Marah, uh, the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, they called the name of it. The natural name of this was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, "What shall we drink?" And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved. 
and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee. That is the ten plagues that he plagued the children of Egypt with. And keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water and threescore ten palm trees. And they encamped there by the water. So let's pray. Father, we're glad to be here tonight. Help us learn to trust and obey you. And pray instead of being complainers and murmurs. Have our walk to the view, Lord, to be righteous and good and holy. Father, let us see your gracious response to us as we trust in Jesus Christ's suffering. Number one, I want you to notice this, is that this is a real test. A real test. It's a real test. And we need to start there. Life is a school. And God tests us on different occasions and in different ways, but we never quite know when the tests are coming. All right? We don't ever quite know when a test is coming. This test that they are facing was real, and it was difficult. You might say it was real difficult. That was, it, was, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was real. It was hard. It was difficult. There's nothing, diff- there's nothing not difficult about this test. Let's think about it. You can go through, they went three days in the wilderness, in the desert, without water. To go one day in the desert is pretty hard. It's pretty severe. To go two days is nearly impossible. But to go three days, well, that surely means death. And then when you finally get to water, guess where you end up at? You end up at Salt Lake City. That's where you get. I mean, that's kind of what these waters were. They were salt waters. They were toxic waters. They were not able to be drunk waters. Uh, they were like the waters that you might even see there in Yellowstone National Park, if you've ever been there before. I mean, you don't want to drink the water there in Yellowstone National Park unless you don't like drinking sulfuric acid, all right? Uh, it's, 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 it's bitter. It's no good. It's toxic. It would kill you to drink of it. And so they have very big issues, very big problems. It was discouraging. It was upsetting. And I'll tell you this right now to be upfront with you. They complained. They murmured, just like it says right there in verses in verse number fifteen. Or excuse me, chapter number fifteen and uh, verse number twenty-three. And when they came to this place, they called it Mar. And the people said, in verse twenty-four. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, "What shall we drink?" So how do they know that? Because they murmur. I mean, you don't say, you don't say, what shall we, what shall we drink, Moses? I don't think that's how they said it. There was a murmuring attitude, a murmuring complaint, a complaining spirit. What are we going to drink around here? You let us all the way. You can just hear them now, complaining, murmuring, carrying on. And I got to be honest with you, is that I really can't blame them. You say you can't blame them? Probably not, because I don't know what I would have done in the situation myself. I mean, you go three days in the desert, it's been a terrible experience. You get there, and you can't even drink the water that's in front of you. What would you do? Would you complain? Would you get upset? Would you get mad? Would you be mad at Moses? Would you be mad at somebody? Would you be complaining 
in a situation like this? I don't know, but I can surely tell you this. I don't blame them. But that's a problem that we have in our society, with our even with our Christian culture, that we have to be so careful with. Is that we have to be careful that just because I can identify with somebody, just because I can identify with the children of Israel here, and I can say, and I can say that I can understand why they complain. That does not make it right that they complain. And that's a big problem in our culture. That's a big problem even in the churches sometimes. Is that we want to self-identify with a particular sin, with a particular problem, with a particular uh, with a particular uh, thing that is going on in our culture and our society, and we say, "Well, we can really identify with that. We can really kind of uh, see how they feel in that situation." But if what they're doing is wrong, no matter if I can identify with them or I can. Uh, sympathize or empathize with somebody, that doesn't make a difference and it doesn't make it right. That is so key in our Christian walk when we're having with what we're seeing here. I, I guess complaining, yes, that's what most of people would do, but it doesn't make it right for them to do that. We must be careful as we counsel with people, think through situations and scenarios that are going on in our culture and our society that we don't just simply latch on to somebody and just kind of write off the wrongs just because I can sympathize with somebody. I can empathize. I can feel your pain, we might say, right? Just because I can feel your pain doesn't make it right for you to do wrong. Just because they were in a very bad situation does not give them any right to complain. Doesn't give them any right to complain or to murmur. They were wrong to do so. The attitude we take in difficulties determine the direction that we will go in life. If we trust God for the results, we will pass the test and grow. But if we complain and murmur and resist and disobey, we'll fail the test as Christians and remain immature. I think that's so key. We keep bringing this thing up of maturity and growing in Christ Jesus our Lord is that we ought to grow in Christ our Lord. Whenever a problem or a trial comes up in your life, you ought to trust God and pray about it. You ought not to resist, disobey, and complain. If you find yourself resisting, disobeying, and complaining, then you can test, you can say to yourself, I failed that test. I failed in that opportunity. I messed up there. I shouldn't have done that. I should have trusted God and I should have prayed. But on the other hand, when a problem, a difficulty, a trial arises in your life and you pray and you trust God in it, then you can be encouraged that God is growing you and you're maturing in your walk with Jesus Christ. And that's what we all should be striving for in our walk with God. We should not be wanting to remain spiritual babies, but we should be wanting to be spiritual adults. So what exactly did these people do? Well, they murmured. They complained. I've said it about a hundred times now. I think it's quite obvious. But I bring that up again is because of this, is because they never really learned their lesson. In the life of Moses, in this particular story that you come to here in Exodus, this is not a solitary account. In fact, this happens six more times as you read through this. If you've been, if you take some time and you read through the first five chapters of the book of the, of the book of, of the Bible, you'll find out as you read through those chapters, especially when you get to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, is that you're going to find out that the people of Israel complain 
complain, complain, complain. They complained against Moses. They complained against Aaron. They complained against Miriam. They complained against God. I mean, it's it just whoever they can find and get a hold of, they are going to make some dispute. They never were able to grow out of this bad habit. Instead of trusting God, they murmured and complained. Whatever the case may be, they remain spiritually immature in their faith in God on this one particular point. And that's so key for us. There are many areas of growth in the Christian life. Many areas in which we all need to grow in. And obviously I don't have time to cover those every single time and every single message. But tonight we're dealing with this one. What to do in trials. Do you complain or trust God and pray? I know that sounds very simple. Very much cookies on the bottom shelf for us. But what happens when a bad time comes in our life? Are we maturing? Are we growing? Are we remaining immature? If the answer, the solution, or the need was not right there in front of the children of Israel, they would complain. They would murmur. And how often time do we find ourselves in this predicament also? Our food, our water, our clothing, our shelter, our home, our money, our job, our relationship, it's not exactly where we want it to be at the right time. When we want it to be. In the way that we think it should be. And we begin to complain. We get mad. We get upset with others and with God. Complaining doesn't ever solve a problem. But it usually makes a problem worse. And if we try to run away from those problems then we'll only find more problems will exist to the new place that we run to. Problems are always waiting for us. They're around every corner. They're around every single bush, if you will. You cannot run away from your problems. They're everywhere you look. It's really just time that we grow up and face the problems by trusting God and praying. By trusting God to pray. A lot of times, whenever somebody buys a home for the first time, they're so excited. They're delighted. I mean, they're first-time homebuyers, you know. They are so happy, so looking forward to getting into the new home. But inevitably, what happens when somebody gets into a new home? Something breaks. <laughs> inevitably. Every single time. Almost every person that I've ever talked to that gets into a new home, and you look at them and you go, oh, the joys of homeownership, don't you? And that's what happens. I mean, we think that sometimes if I just had this, or I had that, or if, I, or if my relationship was better, or if I had more money in the bank account, or whatever it might be, that then, then if, if, if that waitress would just get my food to my table, I mean, I would just be in a better mood. No, you can be in a better mood by just trusting God and praying. Relying upon Him. We see it's a real test. But secondly, we see the correct approach. The correct approach. It's found in verse number 25. And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. 
I don't need to go any further. He trusted God and prayed. Instead of murmuring and complaining, he trusted God and prayed. And that's the solution that all of us can have tonight for meeting the trials in our lives. Trust God and pray. Trust God and pray. Whenever you look at Israel's history, you find them taking many different uh, avenues in order to answer their problems. In 2 Chronicles chapter 25 and verse number 14, Amaziah trusted other gods. For it says that after he had had the slaughter of the, of the Edomites, that he brought back the gods of the children of Seir and set them up to be his gods and bowed down himself before them and burned incense unto them. He trusted other gods. The children of Israel sometimes trusted other nations. At one point, whenever Ahaz uh, was being attacked by Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, or excuse me, by another by by the by the Israelites, he sent for uh, Tiglath-Pileser of, of king of Assyria, saying, "I am thy servant, thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand." He said, "When you reduce, says he says, I will take the silver and gold that is found in the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and send it to a present to the king of Assyria." Sometimes they trusted other nations. Sometimes they complained. Sometimes, like Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter number 20, they trusted in their own selves, in their own riches, in their own gold. Sometimes they were fearful. Remember Gideon was down there in the valley uh, threshing the wheat so that the Moabites so that they, the wouldn't see him. What about David? David one time played insane in order to get out of the situation. Moses, even our man of God that is in our story here tonight, he even doubted God at times in the beginning of his ministry. You see, there's many different ways in which we can respond to God. We can complain. We can try to trust in ourselves or trust in somebody else. Or, and that's what we do many times. We do. We call somebody else on the phone and we say, hey, what do you think about this? And how can I solve this problem? Or, or some people, they call the bank and they say, I need more money. And uh, will you send this service? Some people call their doctor. And, uh, we really need some help, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with calling a doctor. I'm not saying that. But the point being is this, is that too many times that we're trusting in so many other things, that we're depending on so many other things, we're doing so many other things, but yet we're not trusting God. I'm trusting God. It was not until the lady with the issue of blood had spent all that she had on the doctors and was nothing the better, but rather grew worse, the Bible says. It was then that she went to Jesus Christ and sought for healing and for help. But Moses, at this point in his life, has grown enough and has become spiritually enough mature and has learned to trust God and pray and seek after God and go after God. He says, you know what I'm going to do in this situation? I'm not going to join the pity party. Amen? I'm not going to join in with the pity party. Uh, I'm not going to join in with you folks here. You know who a pity party is for, don't you? It's just for me, myself, and I. Alright? Three people. Everybody's invited, but nobody's having a good time. Alright? Hey, he says, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna enjoy, I'm not gonna sit in on the pity party. And, and I'll tell you, that's the thing about complaining. I think that's one of the most difficult things about complaining and murmur or getting around somebody that's a complaining and a murmuring person, is that it's very infectious. It is like a disease. It's like a canker. It's like a canker. I mean, it just eats away. I mean, they, they complain, they murmur, and what do you want to do? 
complain and murmur. That's what your natural reaction is. It is a canker. It is something that just infects us. And it will infect you and infect the whole. And at times, you can read the story of the children of Israel, that at times it infected the whole entire congregation. It moves from one person to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. Before long, everybody's infected with this thing called complaining. This disease. Everybody's got something to say. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got an idea of what we should and shouldn't do. And everybody's upset. And everybody's mad. But nobody's got a solution. There was one man, a man of God, that said, you know what we need to do? We need to go to God and pray. We need to seek the Lord. Because he's the only one that's got an answer for this situation that we're in right now. That's what mature, mature Christians do in problems and in trials. That's what, a, that's what you do. One of your kids comes to you, complain. What do you do? You say, you know what? We need to stop right here. We need to pray to God. We need to trust God. Are we praying about this? That's what you need to do as a husband. You say, no, we need to trust God. Say, that's what you need to do as a mom. You say, we need to trust God. No, no we're not going to complain about it. Pray and trust God. You say, that's foolish. That's wasting time. You might even be worried. What will people think about me if I say those same kinds of things? They'll think I'm crazy. They'll think, well, you're just kind of this spiritual buddy to that, aren't you? You know? Who cares what somebody thinks? Who cares? All that matters is this is that you're serving an audience of one, and that's Jesus Christ. And he cares whether or not you complain or whether you trust God and pray. And the Bible tells us in Numbers chapter number 11, verse number 1, and the people, and the people murmured against the Lord and it displeased the Lord. It displeased God. Murmuring and complaining displeases God. How immature we are to think that we're not getting our way. We're not getting our way then God, well, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with God? I, I didn't get what I, I was supposed to. No. We act like that, we're not pleasing God. You see, Moses' correct response, he goes to the Lord. He cried unto the Lord. Don't you like that? He didn't just pray. He didn't just offer up a one little if you will, a, a Hail Mary. Just kind of just throw it out there. And he cried to God. He sought truly after God. He went to him and prayed. But let us notice finally God's gracious response. And after he cried to the Lord, the Lord showed him a tree which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. I can believe that all of us tonight can be thankful for this. That God does not deal with us according to our name. Amen. That God does not deal with us according to our inequities. He does not reward us according to our sins. And it can be easy at times to think, well, I'm not as bad as that person is, or I'm not as evil as they are. Well, I, I would never complain like the children of Israel and like they did, and after all that they've seen. My friend, your number one need 
tonight is to realize that you stand in need of God's mercy just as much as the most wicked person in all the world. That's what will make you meek. That's what made Moses meek. I mean, whenever the one time that he wasn't meek, he lost Canaan land. Think about that. The one time he wasn't meek, he lost Canaan land. He got angry with the people of God, with the people of Israel, and he got all upset and, and yelled at them and struck the rock, rock twice and water did come out. God proved himself there. But Moses was Moses and Aaron were judged and chastised for it. But God's gracious response to us needs to be realized that, that God hears Moses because Moses was humble. He cried unto him. He went to him. And God would hear you if you're humble also. He always hears and answers the prayers of people that are humble and go to him. He listens to the contrite heart. He says, I will dwell with him. That is of a humble and contrite heart. I will live with him. I will live with her. God always answers the prayers of his saints that are suffering during the midst of trials. Say he does. Yes. He does three ways. He always answers the prayers. Number one, he heals. He heals. In fact, in our text here, the Bible tells us that the children of Israel learned a new name of God. It says in the end of verse number 26, he says, I will uh, I will not I will put none of these diseases upon thee. Which I brought, which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. That healeth thee. God would heal them. God is Jehovah Rapha. That is the word heal. God heals sometimes. When we pray to God in our trials and our difficulties, our God is the one that heals us. God tells Moses to take the tree and cast it into the waters. And I know it may sound like real good preaching right here to say, well, you know, God took the curse of sin and threw it into the sweet and threw it into the waters and began and threw into our, our, our threw out that curse of sin out of our life and put it upon the tree of the cross upon us. You know, and gave us the sweet waters of our souls. Uh, but my friend, that's not what the text is trying to tell us here. The text is just simply saying that they trusted God. Moses trusted God. God told him what to do, and he answered. Very simple. That was God's plan for the children of Israel. He tells Moses, throw in the tree, and he'll cast it into the waters, and they will be healed. To heal the waters so that they would be able to drink them. God had did this, that's that actually did this actually several other times. In one other place, God told Elisha to heal the waters of Jericho with some salt. And another time, God helped Elisha to heal a pot called, there was death in the pot in 2 Kings chapter number 4. And he instructed him how to do that by, uh, by, um, by putting in some meal into the pot that healed the stew. God at times in the New Testament we find out would send an angel down to stir the waters of Bethsaida and whoever stepped in first was healed. God told Isaiah to set a, 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 a lump of figs on Hezekiah's boil and it was healed. Jesus healed multiple people. The apostles healed multiple people. I know one person right now just off the top of my head and I don't mind sharing this with you is that um, it is uh, Mrs. Godfrey's um, 
uh, mom was a godly saint of God, and she'll tell you this story too, but, uh, but her niece had a cancerous, uh, about the size of a football, and it metastasized on her heart, and she was going to die, and her mom prayed all night long that the cancer would be gone. And she called Mrs. Godfrey in the morning, and she said, she told she said her name, and she said, she's healed. She's healed. I'm trusting God for her. And within two weeks, the doctors went back for another scan, and it was completely gone. You say, how did that happen? Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha. That's how. My friend, God is the one that heals. And God can still heal today. Pray for that person. Pray for somebody that's sick. Pray that God would heal them. God can cure incurable cancers. God is still healing in our society today. Have you ever even been amazed by your own skin? Have you ever got a cut on your skin and watched it heal? And isn't it amazing that God, even in a natural sense, is able to heal up our bodies? But God can still heal us, my friend, too, by just praying to Him and asking God to heal somebody. So how does God respond? Sometimes He heals. At other times, He changes the situation. Notice at the end of the text. It says, and they came to Elam, and there were twelve wells of water and three score ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. They were encamping underneath those beautiful 70 palms, and they had wonderful water to drink. There was no bitter or toxic waters in this particular place here. But oftentimes, God not only heals, but sometimes He just simply changes your situation. If life were nothing but tests, we would often become too discouraged. If life was nothing but pleasure, we would grow, we would never grow immature, and we would never become disciplined Christians in our walk with Jesus Christ. The Lord knows how to balance the experiences in our life. Sometimes God just changes a situation in order to make it better for us. Isn't that wonderful when God does that? When God just simply changes the situation, look at the life of Paul. God worked in his life many different ways. One point in his life, he was on a shipwreck. In that shipwreck, he says, he tells him, he lets him know that everybody's going to be saved. Either they'll swim to land or they'll float on a piece of board. At one point, God uh, changed Paul's situation. Whenever he was in jail, he had been beaten 40 times or 50 times or however many times the Romans beat him that night. And God changed his situation by delivering him out of those, out of the out of jail by what? None other than a jailer. Amen. And brought him there and he healed him up and he helped him out. God held Paul and removed him from Jerusalem so that he wasn't executed there by his nephew and a Roman guard helped him. He let him escape out of Damascus by a rope being let down from a city wall and he was put down in a basket. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust to the day of judgment to be punished. God knows how to do it, my friend. And if God wants to take you out of a situation, he can do that. If God wants to heal you, he can do that. But our responsibility as mature believing Christians in Jesus Christ is not to complain, but rather to pray and to what? Trust God. That's our response. Turn to your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 and verse number 7. Say, preacher, what if God does not heal and God does not deliver me from the situation that I'm in right now? 
Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse number 7. In this passage here, Paul deals with what is called a thorn in the flesh. And we have no idea what that is, by the way. It could have been a person. It could have been an object. It could have been a disease. We're not for sure. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul had experienced an abundance of revelations. But he says in verse number 7, about halfway through the verse, he says, There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord Christ, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches, and necessities, and persecutions, and distresses. I mean, was Paul some sadistic maniac? <laughs> I mean, he says, I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, and distresses. I mean, that sounds, really, that sounds a little insane right there. Those kind of people that are like like. Does he, did you say like you like like to be tortured? You know, is that how he got his kicks in life? You know, no, that's not what he's talking about at all. Read the rest of the verse. He says, "For when these things happen to me, he says, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong." He says, "I I, I have these things happen to me for a reason, and it is the grace of God that is able to." carry me through. You say, how does God answer prayer every single time in a difficult, distressful situation? Either He heals you, either He removes you from the situation, or thirdly, He gives you the grace to be able to bear it. And honestly, if we're being honest with ourselves, and if we're being truly honest Christians, And we're being mature Christians. We would have to say that the last one, the last one, is the better of the three. We all want to be healed. We all want somebody to be healed. We all want somebody to be delivered, or ourselves to be delivered from a difficult situation. But if we're really, truly biblical and hold to what God says, then that greatest area of growth in our life will be if we handle those situations that are very difficult and hard with grace. We lean heavily upon the grace of God and trust God and pray. Paul says, I prayed three times. Somebody says, Paul didn't, God didn't answer Paul's prayer. Oh, he answered Paul's prayer. I mean, in my Bible, it's not here, but in some of your Bibles, the words are in red. And Jesus answered him. And he told him, no. No, I'm not taking that away. But I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you grace.
some of the most impactful, moving, and effective Christians that are out there are people that have gone through some of the most difficult trials in life, but have learned to bear those trials with grace. Not complaining, not murmuring, but with grace. God does have a tree he wants to throw into all of our bitter waters of life. He has natural substances that are able to overcome supernatural feats. He might heal you. He might turn your situation around, but he just might just give you the grace to endure. Either way, you and I are not to question God, complain against God, but rather we're to trust and obey. Trials are proving grounds to see what we'll do in the moments of life that are most difficult. One of the most rigorous and grueling programs in the military is whenever people subject themselves to the training program of the Navy SEALs. If you've ever done any reading on that, it's horrific. I don't like being at the beach for a day Alright? I don't like being at the beach for a day and rolling around in the sand. Amen? Without washing off a little bit. Can you imagine wearing 70 pounds of gear, being fully clothed and rolling around in all that mess? That would be horrible. And then day after day after day after day after day after day. Grueling things. Why go through such terrible things? Why do they put these people through such horrible experiences? It's so that they will be prepared for the real tests that will come. The wilderness, the wilderness, the desert was proving grounds for Canaanite. That's what it was. I kind of chuckled when we sang our song tonight, and I'm not always, I don't always pick these up sometimes whenever they're in our hymn books, but they sometimes talk about uh, when we die. We've got, the, we've got a river. We're going to cross the river to the other side into Canaan land. Well, that's that's not proper theology, okay? Um, Canaan land is not heaven. Unless Canaan land is filled with Canaanites, Midianites, and all the rest of the knights that I can't pronounce, okay? Jebusites. Heaven isn't filled with all those things. Heaven's not filled with wars and diseases and problems. The wilderness was supposed to be proving ground for whenever they fought their battles and came to land. But sadly, sadly, there are some Christians that come out of Egypt You know what I think is awesome? A great picture here. Is that though they wanted to go back to Egypt, God would never let them. God would never let them. It's a beautiful picture of salvation. Once you're out of Egypt, once you're saved, there's no possibility in going back. There's no way to get unsaved. 
There may be a time in your life when you were so far away from God you wished you weren't saved. But the point is this, is that even if you wished you weren't saved, you cannot unsave yourself. Because you never saved yourself. God saved you. And you're God's child. These people were brought out of Egypt into the wilderness. And sadly, a whole generation never made it. And I'm fearful. I'm fearful for the church. How many Christians make it out of Egypt, but they never make it to Canaan? They never really see the true power of God. They never really experience and know what a real battle is like. And then to have victory in that battle. But rather they're still stuck in immaturity. That's what Hebrews is all about, really. Five warnings in Hebrews, and I won't think that I'm obviously to get into all that. Breaking off the course here tonight. But ultimately that first generation failed. And they had to wait 40 years to never let the next one try. The question I'll leave you with this tonight, will we as Christians mature in our walk with Jesus Christ and learn to not complain, but rather to trust God and pray? It's a simple message. But I think this is one of the first steps in growing in our Christian life. That we must learn to trust God and pray during difficult times. Don't complain. Don't be Father, we're thankful.